This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. This podcast is Shareable. I'm your host, Jeff Gibbard, commonly known as the world's most handsome strategist and professional speaker. I'm also a superhero. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single Shareable episode. And that's it. That's the intro. Short and sweet. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to Shareable. Today, my guest is Jeffrey Madoff, the author of Creative Career, Make a Living with Your Ideas. And according to what I see, he wants to help you earn a living doing what you love. A man after my own heart, Jeffrey, welcome to Shareable. Well, thanks for having me on, Jeff. So it's a really kick-ass and cool idea for a book. I'm glad you wrote it because if you didn't, I was going to have to write it. And quite frankly, I don't have the depth of experience that you do. So um, why don't we start off by just kind of I gave the title of the book and sort of the subtitle and tagline, but why don't you give us just before we get into like you and your backstory, the book itself, the reason why I want to bring you on to talk a bit, what's the central kind of big idea behind it? I mean, I get the, what you want people to get out of it, but like, what's your, what's your take on it that makes it different? Well, first of all, the book is based on a class that I've been teaching now for 14 years, since I was five years old, (laughs) at uh, Parsons School for Design in New York City. And over the years, uh, not only students take it, but then there are others who just audit or want to hear a particular guest or whatever. And so many people said to me, wow, you you ought to do a book. And you know, I kept thinking, yeah, okay. And then another year passed and another year passed. And then everything kind of came together. Uh, I met a person who introduced me to her agent. Uh, She helped me write the proposal and she was fabulous. And, uh, you know, she had attended the class and loved it. And I'm about wanting to spread good ideas. I don't think things should be secrets. I think that good ideas should be spread, discussed, Uh, and hopefully be useful to people. So I wrote the book and I wanted the book to be true to the class. So buried in my narrative are also comments, uh, suggestions, advice, experiences, stories from over 50 people who I've interviewed, quite accomplished people like Tim Ferriss, Damon John, and uh, Eliza Schlesinger. I mean, like the list goes on and on. I I went to the Instagram for it. So listeners go check out the Instagram. Like it's like really the who's who of like people who have made it in their lives. And and there, and the thing that unifies all of them uh, is that we have a conversation and that conversation is very open, very candid because Anybody who puts out there that they had no obstacles that, you know, yeah, I knew I had a good idea and boom, it happened. That's not true. Uh, Or let's say it's very, very rarely true. Uh, And so making a living with your ideas, uh, the creative careers aspect, I also broadened the definition of what a creative career is, because most people just think of the arts, that you're an actor, a musician, a painter, a dancer. Uh, And if you're an entrepreneur and you have an idea and you actualize that idea and actually start and build a business, that's a creative act because you're making something from nothing other than an idea. Mm-hmm. So I think that that entrepreneurship is also a creative act. And I want to sort of let people in on, uh, give them a window to how different people approach their careers, 
how they got traction, how they got things going. Who would you say the, the target audience of the book is for? Because I'm hearing in, in this a lot of different things, but ultimately it would, it would seem to me be somebody who has ideas, which is most of us, but specifically it's for people who want to take those ideas and put them into action, it would seem. Is there a specific target within that that you think would well, really benefit most from the book? Well, you're, you, first of all, your, your positioning is, is very right in terms of your understanding of it. And uh, one of the things that I do the first day of class is I'll say to the students who are all pursuing design and different creative fields, photography and so on, but there are also those who are in strategic management and retail. So there's also solid business groundings in that also. And I'll say to them, how many of you have gone into a gallery or something and saw something that was selling for quite a bit of money and thought, oh, I could do that. And everybody's hand goes up. And I said, well, what's the difference between you and them? And there's silence. And then I see somebody kind of light up a bit and I'll say, uh, because they did it. And I said, say that so everyone can hear it because they did it. I said, that's right. You know, the old phrase ideas are a dime a dozen. Mm -hmm. And I think now with social media, it's probably like a penny for a thousand. Yep. <laughs> and uh, now it's a penny it, for your thoughts, right? <laughs> yes. And, and you deserve change for most of those thoughts. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it is actually doing it so that the target audience is whether you are a person who wants to start a business, whether you're a recent graduate from school or going to be graduating from school and you're looking to just sort of set a direction for what you think that you would like to do, or if you're stuck in a job and you aren't satisfied, you're not fulfilled, and you're looking for some kind of encouragement or ways to look at yourself and evaluate opportunities that maybe that can move you out of that rut you're in. So you said you've been teaching the course for what you said, like 14 or 15 years before you decided to write the book. Yeah, 14. Well, I wrote the book now in terms of the actual writing. It was a couple of years ago. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, this fall semester, which is ending soon, fall of 21, uh, that was my 14th year. Got it. So there's a, there's a lot that you're drawing from to write this book before yes. we dig into some of the content of it. And I, there's a couple of different places I want to take this conversation, um, you know, specific interests for me. What would you say is the problem that it's primarily addressing? Because from the sound of the question that you gave these students is identifying what is the hump identifying what is the hump and how to get over it maybe because the idea of I want to do something that I love is, is an idea that we almost all have and it it fits nicely into the idealized version of the American dream maybe not the real one right. so you know I think we we all can kind of lock into the idea that we want to do things that we love but there's some sort of a problem what would you say is the problem that you think you're tackling most head-on here how to identify what that thing is how to overcome it like which which are the things that you're kind of tackling it's a really good question, Jeff, because it, it's, it's a few things. And one of those things is whatever your choice is, why is that your choice? Mm. Why do you want to do it? You know, because inevitably you're going to face challenges along the way. And some of those challenges can be pretty rough. And the question is that you have to remind yourself when you're going through those tough times is, well, why do I even want to do this? You know, and if that answer is still valid for you, 
then you're going to be able to persevere because I think that the trait that's most important for any career, not just a creative career, but any career is perseverance. Yeah. If you're not able to persevere in the face of the challenges that you will inevitably confront, you're not going to make it. So I think the first question is, why is that attractive to you? Why do you want to do it? And then you get into the how. Mm -hmm. But I think first you need to know why. I dig it. All right, cool. So I want to talk about you for a second. And then I want to, uh, a couple of places I want to take today. I want to talk a little bit about success. I want to talk a little bit about creativity. And I want to finish out talking a little bit about uh, collaboration and leadership and, and how those things play together. But you've actually had a really interesting career. Um, so, you know, just from your introduction alone right now, we know that you teach a course at Parsons, but uh, if you would, if you wouldn't mind giving like the, the 30 to 60 second of like the rest of everything that you've done, it, it's not like you're a, you know, a professor who like you came out of school degree in education and like you're, you went right into being, you know, a, an adjunct and then a tenure professor. It's not like how that worked. You're, you do a whole bunch of other stuff besides this. This is just like one aspect of what you do. So if you could just give like a, a quick overview um, because I have a pointed question I want to ask you out of that. So my first adult career, sounds like I was in a, it was adult films. No, it sounds, uh, <laughs> my first career as a grown-up uh, was uh, I was working in a small boutique in Madison, Wisconsin, where I went to college. Uh, I had a double major in philosophy and psychology. So if you want to combine two majors that will make you totally unemployable, those are two that you could choose and <laughs> yeah. that will help you. Uh, and, and it's funny because when you say you've done so, so many things, that can sound impressive or it could be, God, the guy can't hold a job. What's the matter with him? <laughs> you know? yeah. uh, but a, a dear friend of mine who had graduated a year before called me up and said, can you think of a gig that would earn more than bank interest? And working in the clothing store, I knew what sold and I could always draw. And I said, I'll start a clothing company. I had was clueless in terms of what that actually meant and how to actually do that. But I had some knowledge of retail. Uh, and the main knowledge is that you have to sell something for considerably more than you paid for it or you won't stay in business. And, uh, you know, I, I started uh, and learned really trial by fire uh, how to start and grow a clothing company. So within about 18 months, I had 120 employees. I had an office in New York. I had uh, two factories in Wisconsin and I had a sales force, you know, of like seven people around the country. So I learned quickly the, you know, we didn't use the term back then, you know, scaled the business, but the business was growing. And, uh, and I learned by doing and hoped that the mistakes that I made didn't totally kill me on the way, you know, down the road. Uh, and when I moved to New York, I'm going to give you a very truncated story. When I moved to New York, uh, through a whole serendipitous confluence of circumstances, and that's the first time I've ever used that sentence. I hope you appreciate that. I do. I, I love I first happening on shareable. I, yeah. I confused myself during that sentence. Uh, that I got into the film business and I was very attracted to that. So I taught myself how to light, shoot, edit, direct. And within a few months, uh, I had things on all three networks. It wasn't rife with cable at that point, mm -hmm. uh, but there were three major networks and I got things on, on different shows and started uh, 
building a, a film business where I did commercials, documentaries, now what's become web content and, you know, videoing fashion shows, which I was one of the first people doing that. And that's become a whole business unto itself. Uh, that's what led to me teaching. Uh, and uh, that is also what led to me writing the book. But I also am a playwright. I wrote a play. The play opens up in March of 22 after a year COVID delay. It's about rock and roll Hall of Fame legend Lloyd Price. And the play is called Personality, the Lloyd Price musical. And Personality uh, was one of Lloyd's biggest hits. And Lloyd is an amazing person who broke down the wall that was called race records, where you could only buy business by black, uh, you could only buy records by black artists uh, at black owned record stores. Oh, wow. Uh, but no, his, his first song, Lottie Miss Claudie, was the first song by a teenager that sold over a million copies. And nobody is prejudiced about green. So the fact that the song sold so well, that broke down that wall that had been really segmenting the music business. And it's a fascinating story. So I, I tend to, to go after things that I feel just a real attraction to because I'm seduced by ideas. Mm -hmm. And I'm you know, fortunate that I've been able, for the most part, to figure out ways to make money doing it so that I can continue doing those kinds of things. Okay, so we've got fashion, we've got film and video, we've got playwright, we've got professors, we've got all these different things. So I want to ask you, at what point in your career did you know why you chose those things? And would you mind sharing with us what's the thing that drives you? I mean, you said you're fascinated by ideas and you, and you, you kind of follow that path, but like what's the underlying purpose or values that drive you? Well, one of the underlying things that really drives me is I want to be engaged with what it is I do. I never wanted to look at a job as a grind. You know, uh, I'm sure you know people as I, people who even do very well financially that are bored, that don't have any sense of purpose about what they're doing other than they make money. Yep. Uh, that it's the classic golden handcuffs you know, where they're making enough money that although they don't really even like what they're doing, they're going to continue doing it because it affords them a nice lifestyle. Now, I have a wife and two kids and I live in New York City. That's an expensive overhead proposition. But I've fortunately have managed to be able to meet my obligations because, you know, I'm an adult I used to be a much younger adult, but you know, I'm an adult. And so you get married, you have kids, you have responsibilities. And so, you know, you can't be so cavalier as to negate those responsibilities because I'm pursuing my passion. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not how I did it. So, you know, so I was engaged and seduced by an idea. Uh, I love working with talented people and, uh, collaborating with those people to make something that's good better. And that, you know, I think, again, as I said at the beginning, the spread of good ideas and the bringing of those ideas to life is really exciting. And probably the best example, in spite of a lot of the film work I've done, which I love doing, is working with people live 
where there's it's changes all the time because you know when i do a commercial or i do some event or whatever you know when it's videoed it's done and it may be fun to watch or whatever but a play is a living organism for the entire life of the play there's new performances if i'm fortunate if the play's successful there might be seven eight nine companies that are touring the united states and other places and so it's this living organism and there's something about live that I really connect to because in a live performance, performance in the, in the simplest example might be like a, a comedian. As, as, you, as you know, I interviewed Eliza Schlesinger, the comedian, and she's great. And, you know, I said, what I like about what you do is you're at risk all the time. When you're a comedian and you go out there, you tell a joke, people either laugh or they don't. And you better learn how to pivot quickly and not alienate your audience in the process. We've all seen comedians whose careers oh, don't well, last. You don't think that's funny and cancel yeah. culture? Yeah, whatever they, they say. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And no, we didn't laugh because it's not funny. And don't blame us. <laughs> you know. So uh, you know. So your product, the joke, is put out there in front of the consumers, your audience, and you find out pretty quickly whether it works or not. Same thing in doing a play. You can't do a retake if something screws up. So, you know, it's like why we like the high wire acts in the circus, right? You know, people are in danger. Now, they aren't necessarily in physical danger. Uh, although sometimes, as we know from recent news, they are. But, you know, they aren't in physical danger. But it's the idea of the psychic risk you're taking by being out there in front of an audience putting yourself at risk in that way. So you've written this book about um, your personal stories, uh, the people you've interviewed, the wisdom that you've gathered for yourself and from others that help people to turn their creative ideas into careers, help them love what they do, right? And at the same time, you yourself, as you went through your career, at some point had to still adhere to responsibilities. You had to make some changes and potentially reel it in a little bit so it wasn't all about passion. So you, you have a very balanced perspective on this based upon that, it sounds like. So I want to ask you what to you is the definition of success that we should talk about today. What do you define as success? Well, there's, I guess, two kinds of success. To me, success in business is being able to say no without catastrophic circumstances, you know, or consequences, I should say. Yeah. Uh, so that if I don't want to do a particular job or if I don't want to work with a particular person or group or something that uh, I can afford to say no and it doesn't throw me into a financial tailspin. So that in terms of my personal life, although that feeds into it, uh, it's really about loving my friends and being loved back. And that there's a true connection between myself, my family, and my friends. And that when things aren't going well, those are the people that you can talk to at four in the morning if you need to. And I think that the true currency in life is the integrity and sustainability of the real relationships that you have in life. And, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of different people and have had 
very good working relationships with them, gotten on really well, but I've never confused that with friendship. You know, it's a good professional relationship. We enjoy each other. It's fun to work together. But I know kind of where the psychic line is, you know, and so I don't fool myself to think, oh, yeah, we're good friends. Eh, no, we're not. You know, we're we are professionally we work well together, enjoy that work together. But there's a clear distinction. Sometimes those boundaries can evaporate and you can become friends. But for the most part, you know, it's because it's a transactional relationship and true friendship is not. So success to me in business is that having that financial ability to say no without catastrophic consequences. And in real life, it's that true engagement and fulfillment that you get from real deep love and friendship. Got it. Got it. So let's pick someone to kind of live live this out with, right? So let's assume that the definition of success that you've given is the one that we should work with. And let's take an entrepreneur, your average entrepreneur ready to change the world with something. And their goal is to get to the point where they can turn down work because they're financially set enough and that they have managed as an entrepreneur to not burn themselves out to such a degree that they still maintain actual friendships and can turn (laughs) to people and connect with them and have those conversations. So let's talk through kind of where do you start by approaching this, uh, this sort of, say we're starting from, from either things aren't working out exactly the way that we want, or we're starting from ground zero. Where do you start with people to get them to see that a path to that is possible? Because I, you know, I coach a lot of entrepreneurs. I have a lot of friends that are entrepreneurs. I'm myself an entrepreneur. I know that that is a very difficult life. Um, it, it's the most rewarding thing I could imagine doing but it's also really, really challenging. And I think there are times in every entrepreneur's life where they feel like I should just give up and go be a barista at Starbucks. It'll be easier. I won't make as much money, or maybe I'll make just as much money. Whatever the case might be, it'll be an easier life. So where do you start with people? What do you think is a useful, let me phrase it this way. What do you think is a useful starting point in a conversation with someone to get them to believe that that's possible? Well, First of all, just to be clear, I'm not a believer in prescriptive behavior. Okay. So I'm not the person to say, you know, you do these seven steps and you will be successful. Mm -hmm. My definition of success may be dramatically different from somebody else's. Neither of us are wrong, you know, because it's a highly personal thing in terms of what you value and what's important to you. I agree. So. So I would never say to somebody, you know, you should look at me. I'm a prime example of how terrific your life could be on all levels if you only followed my instructions. Um, That's not me, you know. Uh, And, you know, so often there's just there's so many things that are involved in that. But I think that where the areas are that I think are true for everybody yeah. Like what are the uh, questions to answer for yourself, to get to find the path for yourself, to define the success for yourself, to define the path? Like how, how do you work with people? Right. Cause it, you've got this book and you're presumably guiding people or getting to, to think differently, take in new ideas, challenge themselves, whatever. Mm-hmm. Kind of where do you, you know, you sit with somebody for an hour. What's the, what's the beginning of your conversation with them about? Well, I think that, you know, 
It's probably the way that I start the interviews in my class. And uh, I know we're going to be swapping places at some point. So I'm going to be asking you that question too. Uh, and that question is, if I'd have known you as a kid, would I have seen any indication of what it is that you're doing now? Because I think it's really important, really important to look back at your life and what did you enjoy doing? You know, I mean, the people that I am friends with to this day, and I'm, I'm fortunate because I have many friends. Uh, I grew up in Akron, Ohio. Uh, some of them still live there. Uh, I left there many, many, many years ago. But, you know, my closest friends, one of them, I don't remember not knowing him. His mother and my mother grew up together. Uh, my best friend, has been, he and I have been best friends since third grade. And uh, actually when we had lockdown, this will give you some indication of my values, however perverse they are. Uh, when we started lockdown, I thought it would really be cool. I put together a Zoom of like 14 of the kids that we all grew up in the same neighborhood. None of us live there. One of them actually lives there still. She bought a house with her husband and had kids down the street from where she grew up. Uh, and I thought this is so cool. After all these years, I've got us all together thanks to this new technology. And we had kind of a neighborhood reunion. She walked around showing us our houses that we grew up in. And so I think, you know, it's looking back and thinking about what did you like? Did you like making things? I used to, I liked writing stories. I liked drawing. Uh, and the things that I liked doing and they all circled the common thread is the storytelling. I did that since I was a little kid. I have notebooks of stories I wrote when I was a little kid and always loved doing that and continued to do that throughout my life. So I think it's finding out what do you connect with? What is it that you want to be doing? If you could wave a wand, what would that be? And then start looking at, you know, is what you're doing at all in sync with what you want to be doing? If so, what is it that you like about what you do? And, you know, what are, the, what are the challenges you face along the way? And it's having a conversation like you would with a friend who might be facing a dilemma, you know, and uh, do you really want to be doing this? You know, do you want to hang in there through this very difficult time? Why? And, uh, and sometimes, as I mentioned, you have to remind yourself why you're doing it in the first place, because it's, uh, it can be very difficult sometimes to sustain that activity when, you know, just you're getting hit from all directions. I mean, when COVID started, we shut down, all production stopped. It wasn't about being innovative. It stopped and travel stopped. So I had to think of other ways, you know, directing via Zoom, for instance, which I did you know, in four different cities, directed projects, sitting where I'm sitting now. Uh, in writing the play, meeting Lloyd Price, doing a documentary about him. So I met him, I interviewed him, and I was so taken by his life, I would have never known that was going to happen. But his story, which I found so compelling, his personality, which was so charismatic, without a hint of bitterness, despite of what, everything he had went through, and so 
I was actually asking myself some of the questions I would ask somebody else. And it ticked off so many boxes because the story that I'm telling, first of all, I'm telling a story and I'm telling a story about something I think is really important. It's about race. It's about popular culture. It's about music. All those things are eminently fascinating to me. So it's sort of, you know, like a friend helping you sort of take a look at what you're doing because it's sometimes hard to see for yourself what's causing you to stumble and what's helping you move forward. So you can focus on what helps you move forward and get past the stumbling blocks. I absolutely love this because when I look back on, and we're going to talk about this later, I'm sure. But when I look back on my life, I see a lot of through lines that lead up to today. I think the the place that my mind immediately goes with this is that we all have things that we like to do. And I, and I think this is the, um, this is like the pessimistic parent uh, angle of it is like, yeah, but at some point you got to grow up and get a real job, right? Like, okay, so I liked drawing and I liked writing. Should I go get a job being a writer or drawing or illustrating, right? And I think what that comes down to is people's difficulty in valuing their work and understanding what is the value of their work, how their work connects to their values, and then how they can generate value from it. It's it's a whole value piece, right? Absolutely. And and I think people have such a hard time with this. And I think if you were to go and sit and talk with a friend, you better choose your friend wisely because some people are going to tell you, you're out of your mind. You're going to quit your job in finance and you're going to go and be an artist or you're going to go and, you know, try and learn web development so you can build, you know, apps and things you know, you pick the wrong person and they're going to tell you you're out of your mind. You pick the right person, they're going to send you down the the path of doing something you probably shouldn't have. How do you suggest people keep a level head about chasing passion, chasing what they love versus making the right decision for themselves about what the next move in their career should be, especially if it's going to be a creative career where maybe you're doing something that either no one's done before, you're going to do it in your own unique way. Like, how do you how do you encourage people to approach that in a level-headed way? Well, I've never been accused of being level-headed. Oh my and... God, me neither. <laughs> and, All right, so let's uh, take level-headed out, but let, let's say in, <laughs> you know intelligently, effectively, um, well, I'll, aspirationally. I'll give, you, I'll give you a real-world example of it. Is when I started the clothing company, uh, I was working in this little boutique, and. Uh, so when I hung up from my friend and a few days later, I had a check, you know, uh, I looked at a shirt that I liked in the store, you know, like the fit of. And uh, so I cut it apart because I didn't even know how a shirt was made. And I saw the puzzle pieces that make up the pattern that makes up a shirt. And I went fabric shopping. At this point, it was fabric shopping. I didn't, this, I was quite naive uh, and ignorant at the time. And, you know, so I go to a store and if there was fabric on the bolt, I thought it was wholesale because it hadn't been made into anything yet. And, uh, but what I did is when I got some fabrics, I had some of the sewers from the store who did alterations sew together my sketches, you know, uh, using the fabrics that I had bought. And we put about, got 10 shirts together put them in the store. They sold out in a day. So we did some more, varied the styles. And uh, they made about 18 or pieces, two dozen pieces. They sold out just as fast. So I then uh, got them to put together a greater representation of my ideas. So I didn't have 18 shirts. I might have six of different styles and some pants and some jackets and that kind of thing. 
strapped them on the back of my motorcycle, drove to Chicago, went to 18 boutiques and sold 14 of them. And all of a sudden I had like $55,000 worth of orders, which was a lot back then. So what I had, and the reason I'm telling the story is I had proof of concept. You can't be the only one in love with your ideas. So you got to figure out, is there a market for this? And very few things are new. As a matter of fact, I can't think of anything that isn't an iteration on something that had happened earlier. You know, so everybody says how disruptive Uber was. Well, yeah, it's because you had a mobile phone. And so there was a technology, but you could call and get a car. You know, you could, you know, it's, it, it, it was just what technology has mostly done is speed up the delivery process. It hasn't offered new products. It speeds up delivery process. That's mainly what it is. Yep. Uh, and so in, in looking at these things, uh, having a proof of concept, looking at the antecedents to the business, wouldn't it be great now that everybody walks around with a phone and there's GPS, uh, wouldn't it be great if somehow you could use the GPS in your phone to summon a car wherever you were? Yeah, great idea. You know, uh, they haven't made it profitable yet, but it was a, a great idea and they were able to raise billions uh, on that. So I think it's looking at an idea and somehow testing it. Now it's harder to test an idea for a book or a movie, but there are ways to start to figure that out. You know, can you sell a book based on your ideas? Can you make a short film inexpensively? you know, to start getting your talent out there. There's different real world ways to do it without giving a bunch of, you know, horseshit platitudes of, you know, follow your passion. If it's your dream, you'll figure it out. No, you need to have a strategy as to what to do because it costs money to do these things. But the main takeaway that I think would be valuable, valuable for your listeners is that you can't be the only one in love with your idea. And not only that, it's great to get moral support from your family and friends, but unless somebody's willing to write a check, it doesn't mean anything. So you got to be able to figure that out. So, you know, when I started writing this play and I got that script draft done and started meeting with people and the initial uh, little bit of money, I got to do a table read. Uh, but then I started attracting real investors and I had to start raising substantial money to take it to the point where it is now, where we're having a full up production that's happening in March. So each step along the way, because a play, by the way, is just like a startup. And every threshold you cross, you have to get more money to take the bigger next step. But these are people that are writing a check. So there is a proof of concept because we had it in front of audiences. The audiences liked it. They were willing to write a check. And so, you know, you got to sort of figure that out. And what you said before is how you value your work is a whole other thing. If you're doing, if you're a painter or an illustrator or something else. Uh, so, and I do in the book go into a lot of real world stories about this, again, as opposed to the platitudes. Because I don't think platitudes help. But if you give me something that I can actually do to test an idea and see if it, if it works and if anybody else thinks it has value other than me, I think that's quite valuable and can help fuel your progress forward. So something that we've done in this 
uh, interviewed thus far that I don't know if you've caught on to is that I've asked you a series of questions that have helped to dispel some of the potential um, uh, snap judgments someone might make when looking at a book like yours, such as, oh, this guy's got a way and he's got a series of steps, right? He's got a shtick uh, or potentially saying that there's a particular definition for success or any of these different things. And what you've done is thankfully systematically dismantled that and said, no, it's not just chase your passion and everything will work out. And no, it's not. There's one way. There's actually a lot of things here. So I appreciate that. And I want to set up one more pin for you to knock down. Um, and, uh, and I was a pretty good bowler, by the way. Oh, good. Well, this is going to be no problem for you though, because this is like a smack dab in the middle. Somehow you had the head pin still left which is your book is creative career, make a living with your ideas. So we've talked a little bit about making a living with your ideas, testing things out and, and kind of defining why you're doing it, all of those sorts of things. But we didn't touch on that, the front pin, the, 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 the head pin there, creative. You mentioned at the beginning, people tend to think of creative fields as being the arts. And you briefly touched on the fact that that's not necessarily always the case. So I'm, I'm hoping you could kind of broaden the definition of creativity here and what that means in the context of what you're talking about, about, you know, earning a living, doing something that you love. What does creativity mean in the context of how you're using it? Because it's not, I'm good with colors or I'm really good with words necessarily. I, I have a sense that you think of it um, at, at both a sort of a bigger, more all-encompassing level, but even at a more base level. So sort of simultaneously, it's both. So what, is, what does that mean? What are some of the myths around creativity that you think need to be broken for people to see that they can work in a creative career? Well, I think that creativity is the, and being creative is the compelling need to bring about a change or a compelling need to express in some way. And that expression can come through in many ways. It can come through in, in building a business and how you build that business. Uh, it could be in writing a symphony or doing a painting. Uh, and I'm not putting a numerical value on which particular creative pursuit, but you touched on something earlier that I wanted to respond to about when you're gonna get a real job and that kind of thing which says more about our culture than anything else. And what I mean by that is if you're going to be a dentist, you know, or an accountant or a lawyer, nobody says to you, well, what's your fallback position? What are you going to do if that doesn't work out? Yep. You know, that's nothing anybody talks about. But if you want to be an actor, if you want to be a writer, if you want to be a painter or a dancer or whatever, people will always say, well, you know, so, you know, what's your fallback position? And that speaks to what we value in our culture, you know, which is, you know, not the arts. And, uh, and I think that that's unfortunate because I think that there is, and that's a whole other discussion, but I think that that's so important, that kind of outlet and that kind of display for others to see and be affected by. And, uh, so I think that when are you going to get a real job or what's your fallback position? My fallback position is my savvy. It's my survival skills. It's my perseverance. It's my ability to somehow 
navigate over, under, around, or through the challenges and obstacles that I'm going to inevitably face, as is every person who's out there trying to make a living with their ideas. And so creativity to me is that compelling need to express, to bring about change, and to actualize something to make it from inside your head thought to outside of your head expression or business. So I want to end on, uh, and that was a very good uh, wrap up on that. I want to end on one final question about uh, leadership, and I want to frame it in the context of gratitude. So um, I want you to just for a moment, think about people that you've come across in your life that have served as mentors to you as leaders, as uh, confidants, as you know, devil's advocates, people that um, that you've worked with that have helped you to become who you are and have influenced the way that you lead. And I was hoping you would just take the, the final moment of the show today to name one person and just be grateful for them on air and talk about maybe what they gave to you and how it shaped you. Uh, I can name two people. I'll give you two. Thank you. Thank you. Same price, by the way. Okay, cool. <laughs> My parents, you know, uh, aside from being interviewed, I was cheating on you, Jeff. I did another podcast (sighs) and uh, over between us. (laughs) And, uh, you know, people say, well, when did it all, what was that defining moment? When did it all start for you? And I said, birth, you know, because that's kind of the defining moment. Without birth, nothing much happens. Yeah, kind of true. And my parents, who were entrepreneurs, you know, they were retailers, they owned their own business, as does my sister. So we were brought up in an entrepreneurial household. And my sister and I both became entrepreneurs also. And the thing about my parents is that they always encouraged what I did, regardless of whether or not they understood it. So, you know, if I had gone into retail, you know, and when I started into the fashion business, they had never been a wholesaler. They had been a retailer, knowing some of that growing around, growing up around that business helped me with my knowledge from the other side of the desk, so to speak. But uh, my parents fostered an atmosphere that encouraged me to express, encouraged me to try things. And uh, I was never ask those kinds of questions about what are you majoring in philosophy and psychology for what's that going to how are you going to earn money doing that i never had that kind of discussion with my parents when i got into my first company you know they came to new york and helped me sell at the shows just because they'd never been exposed to that part of the business before and they're good salespeople, and that was great when i transitioned into doing uh film my dad looked at me at one point and goes, how'd you learn how to do this? <laughs> you know, and, and it was really kind of cool because he just kind of marveled at that because he had no idea how I learned how to use a camera, set up lighting, edit, work all that equipment, nothing. And they were also, uh, you know, very taken by the fact that I was teaching. Unfortunately, uh, you know, my parents passed away. My dad never saw me teach, although he knew I had lectured at different schools. And my parents didn't last to the point where my book was published and that the play is happening. 
but uh, you know the openness, love, and support, and feeling of safety and security that I had, I think gave me a high tolerance for risk in the business sense of the term. I'm not going to be hang gliding, jumping off half dome or anything, but uh, and they gave me an unconditional sense of permission to do those things that meant a lot to me and that I enjoyed. So it's my parents. I love it. You hit so many big ones, love, safety, security, permission, support. Those are all the sort of leadership qualities that I think bring out the best in people. Well, I want to thank you for coming on to Shareable and sharing your story, sharing uh, your journey, telling us about your book and some of the ideas that are in it. I would strongly encourage the entire Shareable community uh, to go out and pick up this book. It's called Creative Career, Make a, Making a Living with Your Ideas. There's going to be a link in the show notes. You can go and uh, find it directly and help it get to be number one on Amazon. And uh, hopefully if that happens, I, rumor has it that a, uh, a, a winged angel will drop a bag of money on Jeffrey Madoff's front door. I've, I've heard it through the grapevine that that's what happens. Uh, but seriously, folks, you should go and check out the book. Um, Jeffrey has been doing this for a very long time. And if you look at the people he's interviewed, it's clear it's coming from a place of, of being very, very well informed. So go and check it out. Um, so Jeff, I want to give you the chance right now just to tell everybody where they can go and connect with you, where they can find information about you. I will put everything you say in the show notes. Uh, so that they can go and find you, but now's a chance to unabashedly promote yourself. <laughs> unabashedly promoting myself. Take one. Uh, you can look me up on LinkedIn, be Jeffrey Madoff. Uh, and I post different clips from my class. And so you'll get to hear from a wide range of people. And I also do that on at a creative career, which is uh, the Instagram site where I pay, pay, uh, post all of those quotes. And there's a website, which I'll be redoing, but it's functioning and it is a creativecareer.com. And you can also see Madoff Productions, uh, which is my, the site for my film work. And finally, just for fun, I walk around New York City every day. I love this place. And I take pictures of just life in New York. It could be a detail on a building. It could be a street musician, whatever. And that's on Instagram at, at Jeff underscore Madoff. Awesome. I'm going to put them all in the show notes. And that way uh, the listeners can just swipe over and click the link and go directly to it. So thank you again for coming on. Appreciate you sharing your stories, your insights, everything. It's been awesome. And I, I guess that makes it shareable. Wait, don't leave. If you've never listened to my fancy outro, do it just once for me, please. Okay. If you enjoy shareable and you find it valuable, there's a few ways that you can support the show. One, you can share it on social media, which I strongly encourage. I mean, it's literally the name of the show, shareable. Two, you can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Overcast user, as many of my listeners are, make sure to click that star button on the episodes that you like. The third way that you can support the show is by blogging about it or discussing it on your own podcast or even by making a YouTube video where you talk about one of the episodes. And then the final way that you can support the show is by supporting it directly on Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Now, before I let you go, I want to tell you about one other thing. 
You see, Shareable is just one of many projects that I'm working on at any given time. I've got another podcast called Rogue. I do a live streaming show every week called The Heroic Council. I've got a blog where I release a blog post twice a week. And if you're looking to keep up with all sorts of different content that can help you grow and become a superhero in life, I want you to check out jeffgibber.me. That's where I list all of my current projects and projects that are coming up in the future, including my forthcoming book, The Lovable Leader. It would mean a lot to me if you could go and check out some of the other things I've worked on because I put just as much of my heart into those projects as I do into Shareable. Thank you so much for being a listener. Thank you for being a supporter. And I hope to see you here on the next episode of Shareable.